Sean Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Three underground rap nerds walked into a bar. An argument ensued about who the goats are. The seed was a thought that would turn into a pod. Now fans worldwide say... Not a bad job, the ad hoc cab squad Who chronicles the vanguard of hip-hop at large Rap taste slacked off, don't need to be mad, dog. Look no further, it's the dad bod Rap pod Podcasting live from San Jose, California It is the dad bod rap pod My name's Damone Carter, a.k.a. Dem1 I am joined in Zoom by my brethren, Mr. Dave Ma What's happening, man? Yo, uh, not doing too bad. Um, man, you have a lot of energy, Damone. <laughs> yeah, man. That's what, what podcasting is about. Peppy energy. And when I think peppy energy, I, I always immediately go to uh, the shining star of this program, Nathaniel J. LeBlanc. How's it going, man? Peppy Longstocking up in this piece. <laughs> um, Peppy I, I don't know here. if you're doing it on purpose, <laughs> but I have noticed that the last two weeks, because the new theme song ends with you saying the word pod and it kind of repeating mm-hmm. into infinity, and you've also started your, your th- is it? Okay, all right. That's just, I should not be talking about this song. Okay, so that's on purpose. <laughs> Damone is good at pod, 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 pod podcasting. <laughs> I'm all right to answer your question. I just woke up from a nap. One of those naps where um, oh, it's, nice. it's light when you go to sleep and dark when you wake up. So like I have, it could be four in the morning. It could be next Tuesday. I have no idea where I am. Absolutely. It's four in the morning somewhere and somebody is uh, going to sleep or waking up to the dad bod rap pod. Uh, we thank you for tapping in once again to this wonderful program. Um, as we record, this is the uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day holiday. Um, so shout out to everyone except racists who don't like to celebrate this. How racist do you have to be to not want like a day off? <laughs> like, <laughs> like for real, like I hate Columbus, but I'll take it. I'll take that. I'll take that day for his genocidal ass if uh, if they were throwing it out there. Yeah, I'll take a- any and all holidays. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, another holiday recently passed, and that was uh, National Earl Day, um, which I think I was thinking about this when uh, the new Earl sweatshirt came out. Um, there's really a, some of my favorite rappers named Earl. Like there is a legacy of, <laughs> of, of Earl in hip hop circles. But uh, yeah, I think uh, Earl Drop Day should be a what holiday. What is it? It's, uh, it's Steven's sweatshirt. Simmons, Simmons, kidding. <laughs> um, Earl Blaze, uh, kind of oh. the fourth, the fourth member of Anti Pop Consortium. Oh, sure that you went deeper. Oh, yeah, that's uh, one. De- and then there's the term Earl, like, and then there's like cornbread Earl references. Like Earl is like around. Right. Uh, so let's talk about this a little bit because I saw you talking to somebody about Twitter about this with somebody on Twitter. The way I always took it. Earl was like a subsection of Hurl. Oh, wow. Okay. So I don't, I, that's, that just could be me. I mean, I made a straight up Wayne's World joke on the program last week. I'm not afraid to do it again. Like, you said, um, I'll just, kill again. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> it, it's like, oh, he's going to hurl. He's going to Earl. Like, it's, Earl. Just a, a, it's just a slang upon the slang. I, about oh. growing up personally. I interpreted uh, as our resonant throw up slang uh, expert. Uh, I 
believe it comes from the term calling Earl. And I can't remember, I think even in DJ Quicks tonight, um, he there's some there's some reference to like like when you're throwing up like you're calling Earl. And oh, then I think that got that, that got turned into Earl Ing. Um I didn't put the Earl connection together, but that is uh, the symmetry that you find here on the Dad Body Rap Pod, bringing together uh, vomit slang. David Ma, uh, worst vomit experience, go. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, you put me on the spot. Um, Every time's the worst time. Am I right? Yes, I'm on with that, never, that, that, that never one gets time. Fun. Oh, the one time I loved it. <laughs> totally, exactly. One time, not too bad. Yeah, yeah. No, terrible every time. Yeah, uh, there's levels uh, to it, though, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. But usually these days, if I if I do puke, it's probably from like over partying, uh, which yeah. hasn't happened in years. But Have those are always the worst. Puked and rallied, like went went away, puked and then came back. To came the back. I have, I have. I've, I've done I, that at a Michelin star restaurant. I'll tell you the story nice. off mic sometime. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Gotta get oh, your money wow. worth. That's what I'm saying, dude. I was like, all right, courses four through six. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Oh, uh, shit. Never rallied. I'm a quitter. Really? I'm, I'm really? a big, I'm a big baby quitter. Once it gets to that point with me and, and the alcohols and such. That's yeah, we, I mean, we, we kicked it in Boise with you. We know. Ouch. <laughs> I was, guys. I, I actually tapped out third quarter, folks. Yeah. It was about 11 15. It's rare for me. I'm much more of a quitter than, you know, than a yeah. rallier, but it has happened a couple of times in my life. Um, my friends were reminding me when I was away with them um, on a little trip over the Christmas holidays in between Christmas and New Year's. We went away together and they were reminding me my move used to be. I would seem like I would fall asleep while everyone was still hang out, but then somebody would say something funny and I would like laugh from the couch or, or like throw in a joke while I was mostly asleep. Subconscious. Yeah. Basically yeah. like, just like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what you call that quite, but it's not quite sleeping. It's not quite quitting. It's just like, I'm, I'm there in spirit and every once in a while throw in a little, a little guy on the couch. You remember, uh, was that Stephen Wright's move in, in yeah. half baked? Lucia was telling me with the first time we went on a trip, like with her and my friends and we were all partying together. Um, I did that and she, I was the connection to all the people. So she uh, didn't know anybody. So she just had to pretend she was asleep too. Oh, <laughs> and now we're happily married. That's why material right there. <laughs> well done. Damn. Damn. Well, solidarity sleep or what? Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> That's the ultimate rally to, to, to get, to then go get married. Yeah. Totally. Yes, after yeah, that. Yeah. After that. Oh man. Going to the uh, chapel and uh, <laughs> fake sleep together. <laughs> <laughs> Hurling at the chapel. <laughs> <laughs> the new Chris Rack crack record coming out next year. Uh, yeah, so, so you know, there's a lot of different connotations of Earl. One of them being sweatshirt. One of the best types of Earl you, you can get is sweatshirt, not on your sweatshirt. Been there. <laughs> Been there. Uh, Earl dropped a new record entitled Sick. Sick. Yeah, yeah, that's what uh, me and Controller 7 were having kind of a a lexicon nerd fest around a guy named Earl making a record called sick. Ha 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 ha. Um, So it's, it's always, uh, I'm not going to say controversial, but Earl has really made some polarizing records of late. Um, But this does not seem like one of them. Nate, uh, 
what, what was your what were your kind of impressions? We've had a couple days with it. This isn't like a one listen. Yeah, I, I've listened to uh, it a couple take. of times. Yeah. Um, I, I always look forward to see what he's putting out there. There had been hints and um, singles, right? I think there were two singles. Um, mm-hmm. Tabula Rasa with um, mm-hmm. Arm and Hammer, which we'll get to that in a sec. And then one of the other songs, I can't remember. But when it came on, I was like, oh, I've heard this before. And it's like, yeah, because you were like feverishly. Oh, 2010, I believe. 2010. Is the Thank you. Yeah. So um, I think it's really good. I, uh, I think th- there were, there were, I don't know how I don't, I'm trying, like struggling to find the words. It seemed like they wanted to let us know before it came out that he was done with everything being so murky that he, he was coming, <laughs> he was coming clear headed on this and maybe more yeah. to the point clear sounding on yeah. this and so the singles indicated that the the song with navy blue is still a little bit more like what we used to call sludge village and damon and i were texting about <laughs> he uses the term sludge in sludge. one of the songs <laughs> yes. um so no no credit but we have been using that term for many years uh but anyway uh it's a really strong record he can really rap it's quite short um i will listen to it many times the early album of the year contender um he's, okay. he's He's as good as they thought he was going to be, as we thought he was going to be when he was mm-hmm. making disgusting story song raps when he was <laughs> a kid, you know, like yeah. it, it was worth everyone getting misleadingly fired up about Samoa. Like he's he's as good as as we thought he was gonna be. And that's really refreshing. That's great. Um, it's nice to have something that's a little bit more um casually listenable. And I I do say, I have to say. Uh, it's so great that I think a bunch of new people are going to hear Arm and Hammer because of this. Like that's just to mm. me. That's just that's just icing on the cake. Absolutely, absolutely, Dave. You've almost uh, gouged my eyes out for trashing Earl on this program. <laughs> uh, what what were your initial impressions of of this record? Um, and where do you place it in kind of uh, the the Earl pantheon of uh, against his other works. Okay, well, you know, I I pretty much agree with Nate's ten- sentiments. Uh, typically, like usual, um, <laughs> I I loved uh, Tabula Rasa with Arm and Hammer, and um, to Nate's point, hopefully that brings him further exposure. Um, I like that this was a short album. Uh, I expected it to be short. And to answer your question, I th- I liked it more than Feet of Clay. Um, my my prob- my second favorite Earl album is probably some rap songs uh 2018 i believe but feet of clay kind of just didn't really grab me but my uh takeaway here is that earl is constantly growing right just like just like everyone else is but it's really nice to see um it's a little bit less sludgy i guess a little bit more listenable i didn't immediately love all the beats but i think it's something that i could um, get used to as time goes on i mean it's just it's just bound with wonderful lines that you would expect from earl um, I spoke with Earl way back in the day. Um, maybe we could put that on Patreon or something. It was, hey. a, it was a piece for Wax Poetics right around the time Doris came out. Uh, I okay. believe like right afterwards. And this was during the whole Samoa thing. And he was really distrustful of journalists. So mm. uh, if, I re- if I remember correctly, he was you know giving me short answers and even slightly combative at the beginning of the interview. But towards <laughs> the end... But towards the end, you know, he opened up and stuff. And I think it ended up being a good piece. And that sort of that sort of distrustful angst kind of reminds me of the um, I don't like shit. I don't go outside like sort of album. And so I find corollaries between that and this, you know, this being his COVID album. So um, 
yeah, I think overall it's it's an early contender for uh, album of the year. Um, really into it. Um, listen to it about three times. And, you know, it's one of those where like you walk away thinking about 20 things that you just listened to. And I, I'm mm. ready to I'm ready to return to that again and like pick up all the other stuff that I missed. Absolutely. And um, it's it's a brisk affair. It's yeah. definitely yeah. it definitely right. moves. And it's also in the sense of like not only is it short, but I think um uh, there's a couple of different flavor kind of beat palettes, if you will, that get tossed out um, that kind of give it a, a good, I thought it was a, a well-sequenced album. I thought so um, too. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Good point. The songs where they're placed in front of each other make a lot of sense. And I, through reading Marcus Moore's excellent piece on Earl in entertainment weekly, um, Learned that he is the nephew of Hugh Masekela, which I didn't I didn't know. But I had been going around all weekend thinking about how Earl is essentially a trumpeter with his approach to cadences um, and how he he plays with negative space and like off time and all of these things. The the best moments to me on sick are when he's um, he's just playing with these cadences on 2010. It's it's kind of a an upbeat, um, I wouldn't call it trappy, almost an electro affair, mm-hmm. where he's being very bouncy and playful with the cadence um, in a way that I feel like a, a horn player would be. That's that's the vibes that I get from it. And also on Fire in the Hole, the last uh, the last joint. Um, this album at his best is like Earl showing you what he can do. In Marcus Moore's piece, he had an interesting comment where he feels like. Uh, he said, people will walk away from hearing my stuff being underwhelmed. I'm not trying to like blow people out of the water. I got a sneaky first step like Bradley Beal. I love his basketball analogies, by the way. Um, and so uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. I am actually surprised a little bit and I'll get see how you feel about this, Nate. Um, are you surprised at all by how kind of it's been kind of universally heralded? Uh, I'm not. Not the bet. No, I'm not. Um, I think people really wanted him to rap normal again over normal <laughs> beats. And I think by giving yeah. people that and um, shout out to Marcus Moore, great piece in Entertainment Weekly. We find out that not only was Earl over the past couple of years dealing with the death of his father and many other traumatic personal experiences, but that he was addicted to alcohol and other right. things. And he's kind of California sober now. So he mm-hmm. had a kid that changes yep. people's lives completely and therefore kind of seems to have affected the sound of this in some ways. So, um, no, I think um, in many ways, uh, Earl represents like the best of what's happening in the underground stuff we love, but on a much more broad scale, he's also like a low key celebrity. Yeah. So right. he, he just got really famous, really young, dealt with it in interesting ways. And just one thing I want to say to you, Damone, is I think you should go back and re-listen to some rap songs with your recently acquired Hugh Masekela knowledge, because that's where yeah. he starts to incorporate that into his music more. In the okay. song in particular, where it's a tribute to his father, it's over this kind of mm-hmm. like destroyed Hugh Masekela sample. And it's like, it's about all of that together. Mm-hmm. So. I think like you can uh, you'll be able to hear if you if you like don't focus on the sludge and focus on the high notes of the things that are embedded in there I think you'll hear kind of what he's talking about when he was going through it you know what I mean Mm. he was processing it then now he has processed it and he's a different person if that makes sense 
I, I, I definitely, um, yeah, thank you for that. It, it definitely, my new appreciation, I'm not going to call it new. Like, I always knew the guy was good. Don't get me wrong. Um, but kind of drilling down into his style and um, really obsessing a little bit over his technique. I know people like to talk a lot about the, the bleak kind of introspective stuff that he does. But to me, um, Earl's superpower is he is playing with words and pockets um, with an ease and variations that are just incredible. You kind of know what he's going to do, but you never know what he's going to do. And right, as a, like right. a rap, rapidy rap fan, uh, I can't get enough of that. Like Elucid has some of that too, where you're kind of like, I kind of know the types of things you like to do, but I, I have no idea what's happening from one bar to the next. Um, I think Earl really uh, captures that. And I will go back and listen to some rap songs because I know personally, I can be a fussy ass. I can get a certain <laughs> idea about a record and just drill down. And 60% of the time I'm right about that, but I will, I will circle back with. The and and of, let me just say years. for the people who only know Hugh Mesakela from like grazing, grazing in the grass, like he is an incredible musician oh, and like yes. ambassador of like African music. And uh, in particular, I don't know if it's on streaming services or whatever, but I have the LP. You should listen to this record called uh, Hugh Mesakela and the Hezbollah sound. It, incredible okay. like, Afro funk record, just such okay. a great record. One of the great covers, and just just is so incredible. I've 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 always really admired him and the his his tone, his like such bright clean mm -hmm. tone. Mm -hmm. And he's not really a jazz musician, but he was like you know had, like a, a trumpet monster in the way that you know what we classically think of as great jazz band leaders and writers yeah. and composers and instrumentalists are so just a really really pivotal figure in modern music who's not really discussed much because he was kind of seen as a one-hit wonder and that song is great if for, for an instrumental one-hit wondery kind of hit um right it's a, it's a fun song it's in a current commercial where they're like all in a convertible like of course grazing in the grass but there's just so much more to the man than that uh, abs absolutely um and in you know, it, the lineages, it's like when I found out, you know, Fly Low is the uh, great nephew of Alice Coltrane and you go, I see, you know what I mean? Like there's, right, there's something right. to be said for that. Um, Dave, you, you mentioned kind of liking the, the album length. Uh, do you, I heard a couple people, the only quibble that I've seen thus far is like, it was, it was too short. Did you kind of which which uh pun intended, which um <laughs> we kind of we kind of chided Vince Staples for that a little bit where we're like, nah, was that even a whole record? Um, what what do you what do you think about this idea that an album could be too short? Um, I don't I don't think so. I think it's all about conciseness and it's about it's actually harder to make a profound album that short. You know mm. what I mean? Uh, mm -hmm. You want to you want to say the most in, in the least amount of space, really. And, and if I'm thinking back personally, like my personal favorite songs are like under two minutes. So I think yeah. there, there's an art to being concise. And especially with Earl, like you listen to like his deliveries on Doris, where he's doing these sort of more complicated tuck and rolls with his delivery here. He's just he's just shooting out shorter lines. 
but I think they're impactful and um, I don't mm. mind the length at all. I mean, I'm not listening to this thinking, oh, man, I wish it was 16 songs. It's like, no, <laughs> the, the 10 you gave us were perfect the way they are. So yeah. I think it's a harder thing to make a concise short album that's profound. That's yeah, uh, I'm glad you brought up the Vince Staples thing kind of organically so I didn't have to shoehorn it in because I think it's an interesting comparison of where they started, which I've always been fascinated by the fact that Earl gave the first verse you hear, like the first voice you hear on Doris, which I still think is mm-hmm. his best record. Uh, or maybe I'm just wedded to that time. And what it meant to me is Vince Staples, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a long Vince Staples verse mm-hmm. before you ever hear Earl. And I've always thought that was a really interesting decision. And now they've come out with these kind of mirrored EPs or mm-hmm. albums. They're albums now. Um, they both they both clock slightly over the 20 minute mark, which I believe is your personal benchmark. <laughs> right. I think Earl is yeah. 24 and Vince is 22, something like that. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But it's interesting to see where Vince has explored a friendlier, more accessible sound, a sing songy yeah. kind of flow, if you will. And Earl mm-hmm. has gone to like the deepest depths of like, basically unintelligible just being part of the music kind of like a king cruel yep. of, uh tucking Garbled. into the um the production of it and then ended up back in a place where like the words are foregrounded but yep. there's also a kind of casualness to the rhyming they both ended up in a more casual place than their early more densely lyrical work might have had you believing they would end up or perhaps it's more to the point of like what the audience should expect or want it's Mm. like you wanted them to be like lp style or doom style always doing triple entendre long run on sentence kind of like stacking 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 that's Mm -hmm. not where we ended up with either of these two like incredibly talented people right i think that's interesting there it's it's going in the in the other direction uh, where things are getting looser and kind of uh, more wavy, if you will. And I think mm-hmm. Earl embodies um, this interesting intersection of the most forward thinking of the trap tradition. I think there there are moments on this where you're like, you could say I'm on a track with almost anyone, but there are moments where you're like, no, this dude is a product of, of the underground rap tradition and right. is making essentially a lyric record. And I feel like, there's probably no more, no one more famous doing the things that he's doing. I would, st- I still think he's a little bit more famous for whatever that means uh, than Event Staples. Um, well, I he think was he's... actually officially part of the Odd Future thing that like yes. blew everyone's mind and was like on magazine covers and stuff. So, I think in that way, I agree. And I don't know. I'm not going to go to the stats, but it's kind of like who has more followers kind of, you know, but like mm-hmm. they, they odd future was a fashion thing. It was a pop culture thing. It got out mm-hmm. of the realms of like even arts and entertainment press. Right. Like, right. And like when they were like kicked out of countries and stuff, yeah. like yeah. that's all like international news. That's just a different kind of famous, but it's kind of being famous for the wrong reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which right. I think, I think almost he's been trying to undo that. I think there's a certain amount of Earl Dave, you spoke to this kind of like um, when you spoke to him, this, there's a kind of rebelliousness there. Um, mm-hmm. of somebody who was like, you're not going to pigeonhole me into this weird fame box that I got into. Totally. And, and I think, I mean, not to, this is getting off of our, our program, but um, similarly, I think that's why Frank o- Ocean is also very cagey. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, I- yeah, yeah, I was super famous, but you're not going to make me like, I'm not, you know, a really good artist 
Um, Just imagine being thrusted into that. And, you know, we, we speak of them now, especially Earl, because he, he raps and presents himself with such a sense of wisdom. But they were fucking babies then, you know, kids, so yeah. I can I can see just still carrying that sort of fuck the press, fuck the media ethos with you now. You and I, mean, I didn't need them then and I don't need them now. No, exactly. they, they, they need you. It's, right, it's, right, it's wild right. when you look at the combined kind of uh where all those guys took it because they could also have been burnouts right mm-hmm. like tyler is sitting in a position literally perched on top of the entire music industry um he's a uh, and a fashion phenomenon uh frank is the is the biggest enigma uh artist in kind of pop r&b realm and then there's Earl sweatshirt that has 45 year old dudes like fawning <laughs> <laughs> over his uh, over his ability to rap. So that's and rapping with him on uh, very yeah. very good songs, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, um, that's true. This is also you know with the, I've listened to a million Arm and Hammer Arm and Hammer podcast interviews, probably every single one they've ever done. So I know that this is also like this is an Alchemist album. He doesn't have every production credit, yeah. but it, it yeah. bears a lot of. Um, mm-hmm. there, him, Earl and Alec are extremely close. This is, you can hear it. He definitely produced some of the beats. I didn't go in and make note of which ones, but I feel like I can hear it. On you can tell it. And, yeah. and it's like these really tight, concise things with a lot of kind of musicality to them, but, uh, a kind of, uh, briskness. It's like, let's get to the point. And that kind mm-hmm. of seems to right. be a thing lately. Um, which to, to Dave's point, I think is great. Like we're no, we're not waiting through skits anymore. We're not pressing <laughs> forward. We're just getting what we want from it, right? If you don't like a song, you don't like a song. That's on you. But is that was the truest representation of what the artist could offer you? And I, I find it so odd that artists made all these skits and interludes when there was on a finite physical medium and now <laughs> right. the entire space of the server farms of the internet to do whatever they want. They don't do that anymore. I will never understand that. Oh, that's so, well, I think part of the thing with skits back in the day was um, uh, so you could take a time without actually having to make a, like a great song. You could take up a right. whole half of a tape and totally. have like these weird, uh, these weird skits and things. Um, Dave, where, where is, where's Earl going? Where's, where's the next stop? He finally gave the, the fans the, the raw meat that we've been wanting, the more accessible record. Do you think he gets weirder from here or uh, even more accessible? Um, I think the next album will be 30 seconds. No, it's okay. Um, <laughs> you, you know what? I'm not sure. I, uh, part of what I like about following Earl's career is that you're seeing his growth in almost real time, or at least it feels mm-hmm. like that because, because mm-hmm. he goes away, then reemerges. Um, I guess, I guess I can't answer that question, but I guess I would say that it's, it's not going to get, it's go- it's only going to get more um, concise, right? I mean, mm. his writing is going to just get more sharpened as time goes on. I mean, mm. I guess he could give us like a, a, a straight up dense lyrical miracle type album. But why would he do that when he can just do the same in 10 songs? Yeah, yeah, for real. I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by his art and trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel like where he sits it would be interesting to see if if he does take a turn towards like depending on the response to this record um into something that's slightly more accessible this is the most accessible record maybe uh, for a wide audience but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I mean, we we talk about how there's so many Earl spawns, and I like in oh that Marcus, gosh. in that Marcus Moore um, interview where 
he mentions Mavi and I think he mentions mm-hmm. Mike and yep. and he 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 calls them his musical siblings. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like like yeah. they're in the same class. Like he he's not the teacher, you know. So I I sort of like that. And yeah, I mean it's crazy. They in the interview they mentioning they mentioned him having a kid, and that's yeah. not really reflected on this album. So maybe in his future work, you know, we're gonna see a reflective Earl on parenting. I don't know. Oh you know? oh Earl, if you're ready to talk parenting. <laughs> go to fatherhoods first and then we are here at our entire network yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah i think uh maybe not the next album but in like five years we're gonna get some grown man rap some like i gotta pay the bills rap yeah some, yeah some stakes is high de la soul rap where you're okay. kind of a little fed up with things yeah right because at 27 you're not quite there yet uh he's he's, he's living and, and interpreting but also like I feel like he's one of the few voices in this genre and maybe it's because he's been famous for so long that generally seems like he doesn't give a fuck too. Right. Like he did. Right. This album is not, is not, uh, doesn't seem like it's pitched to please anyone but himself. If it's more accessible, it's because he wanted it to be that way. I completely agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's got the juice to kind of, call and I, I think, and I, I'm a, you know, taking a lot from a little bit of interviews and stuff I've read. I think Alchemist has proved that there's a rabid fan base for this kind of, let's go ahead and call it overground rap. It's like, you you do the merch, you do the vinyl, you do the drop, you do the cover, you do it this way. Then like, it's like, this works. This is a sustainable career. You don't, you don't have to be like the prototypical indie struggle rapper who makes like an extra 15 K on top of their day job. You can have a life doing what you want if you do it this way and they're doing mm-hmm. it together and i think that's um inspiring and mm-hmm. makes me hopeful and i i happen to really like most of the music that comes out of that so yeah. you know it's like everybody Same. buy a wine uh a wine glass leash and uh a pair of <laughs> shorts and uh these guys can keep making their art you know what i mean yeah totally totally absolutely so that's all three of us are on board with this record, which definitely means you should check it out. If you disagree with us, we're always here at Dad Bod Rap Pod on Twitter. With that being said, uh, we are rap nerds, and it's always great when we can talk to uh, another rap nerd as a guest because not all rappers are rap nerds. I actually right. think it's about one in three. Yeah, I think it's about one in three rappers that are interested in the form as much as we are. Um, I it's journalists, of course, are are super into it. Um, But we had a chance uh, to talk to somebody who kind of straddles the worlds of media and journalism is definitely a rap nerd and somebody we wanted to talk to for quite a while. Uh, So let's get to it. Here is our interview with bestselling author Shay Serrano, Dead Bod Rap Pod. Dad Bod Rap Pod. Every week we talk to people who have moved and shaped hip hop culture. This week is no different. We have best selling author, uh, hip hop head, San Antonio Spurs fan, Shea Serrano in the building. What's happening, man? What up, gentlemen? How's life? How's your world? 
uh, uh, crazy, but but somehow functional. Uh, hope everything is good with you. Um, we're we're happy you could join us today, man. We're definitely big fans. Um, you have an interesting trajectory. Uh, you were a high school teacher, uh, turned middle school teacher, middle school teacher, yeah, uh, uh, hip hop head, middle school teacher who's had this very interesting career in journalism. Um, how did did you ever, when you were teaching middle school, did you did you ever think that you would be for you know four books, be a best selling author, like? When you were in the break room having coffee, talking about kids putting gum on the <laughs> desk, uh, did you did you ever think it would be like this? Like when you compare it now to where you were? No, 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 not at all. Because it wasn't even something that honestly that I was really like chasing after. Because I thought once I got into teaching, once I started doing that, I knew like that's the job I was supposed to be doing. It was the first time I had a job that was hard that I wasn't just like, fuck this and quit. Like every other job that was, as soon as it got hard, I was like, I don't want to do this. Um, so I started teaching. It felt right. Um, the writing was just a thing that happened by, by circumstance because we needed to make a little bit of extra money because Laramie was, was uh, on bed rest for a while when, when the twins were pregnant. And so I was just like, well, all I need is like six or 700 bucks for like three months. And then she'll be back to work. And then everything will be fine. We'll be able to pay the bills. Um, but then we found out when, when she had the, the twins were born and we started looking into daycare, it was going to be like, it, it was going to cost more money for them to go to daycare than I make in a month. Yeah. And it was fuck, what do we do? What do we do now? Um, so I just kept on chasing after writing because we couldn't even, that's how fucking shitty America is. We couldn't even afford for both of us to go to work. It was like, we can't do, you know what I'm saying? That's wild. Um, yeah. So I just, so writing, that's how writing started. And then it just, I got lucky and things just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And 2015, I believe is when I left teaching the right full time. Um, but no, I didn't think I, I, I wouldn't plotting on any of this. I wouldn't, chasing after it it just sort of happened perfect man thank you for that i um just sort of moving along chronologically um i read a little bit about your time at the houston press and the uh the lack of uh, rap coverage there and sort of how that became a springboard for um you know uh, your career moving forward i was wondering if you can just expound on that a little bit and let us know how it was you know uh how your time there was and sort of what your mind state was Oh, my time there was awesome. That's really where I learned how to be a writer. I, mm -hmm. Early on in your career, what you need to have happen, what I needed anyway, I guess this doesn't speak for everybody, but what I needed to have happen was I needed for a professional actual writer and a professional actual editor to, to, to invest some time with me and show me how to do the job. I, you know, because um, you don't know what you don't know. And I had this, this woman there, her name was Margaret Downing. She was an editor in chief and the music editor there is this guy named Chris Gray. And between the two of them, they were showing me all of the things I needed to know to be a professional writer. And I'm, and, and I don't even mean just like crafting a, a story that was part of it, but also the very like practical parts of it. Like if you want to get information from a, from a courthouse or if you want to interview a source or if you, you know, they were showing me all of those sorts of things and they were very straightforward about it. They were like, Anytime I did a good thing, they would tell me 
why it was good and how it was good. And anytime I did a bad thing, uh, wrote a bad thing, they would tell me why it was bad writing and why, why it didn't work. And that sort of thing is, especially early in your career, is just so, so important. That's amazing. I, I need to find one of those too. Um, I guess <laughs> I'll begin this question with a statement, which is that I miss Grantland terribly. Um, you guys had such an amazing cast of culture and sports writers and the way that that all came together and the way it was designed was just really important to me. It's something I read first thing in the morning, every morning, including many of your pieces. Um, so I guess uh, the question part is, how do you think the, the kind of um, culture writing you did there led up to the kind of books you're writing now? Well, so what ended up happening there is, is when Bill shows up, and Bill is the most successful sports writer of all time. Um, when he like touches you on the forehead, especially at that, at that particular moment, he was like, hey, what this person is doing is valuable. That's what it felt like when he hired you to work at, at the site. And then everybody else sort of responded that same way. So, so getting to work at Grantland, it just felt like, like, uh, like validation and then once that happened, everybody else sort of started to pay attention or it just became a little bit easier to get to get into a meeting. Um, or I, if I was like going to pitch another place, I could just be like, well, I, I've written for Grantland and they automatically assume, oh, he, this person must know what he's doing. What he's doing uh, must be of some sort of, of value. Um, so, yeah, it was that that was really that was really cool. He was a, he was also the first person who was like that was the first time I got a writing contract. I started, I, I got a part-time writing contract there. Um, they were paying me more than I was making as a teacher working full-time to part-time write for them. And I was like, this is fucking dope. Um, I really like this. And then when my part-time contract was running, was running out, him and Chris Ryan called me and they were like, I didn't want to leave teaching. Um, I kept telling them, no, I'll just do another part-time contract, whatever, whatever. Uh, I remember Chris said, said, Hey, we've seen what you can do when you're just like devoting a piece of your time to it. Imagine what could happen if, if you devote all of your time to this. And when he said that, for some reason, I was like, well, fuck that. That's, I guess I got to try now. And yeah. then, so when I started writing, uh, I signed a full-time deal there and then everything sort of, you know, luckily it worked out. Yeah, it's it's definitely working out. Um, you've since went on to, uh, you got four books. Uh, in the game and you also illustrate like how how hard was it to get the the first book off I I remember when I saw it I was kind of like who's this dude um and also like how did he do that like it's it's you're writing about rap uh and there aren't a lot of great rap books it's something we talk about on the show quite a bit did you did you find any resistance in trying to get the first book off, uh, given the, the subject matter and kind of your approach to it? Well, the, the very first one that I did was the coloring book. And I did that one with, with Bun B. Bun B. Mm -hmm. and, and that one, it was just a straight up coloring and activity book, but it had rappers in it. And that one was hard to, to sell anywhere. We actually, I pitched it to every publisher who would answer an email and they all said no. And then, uh, so what I wanted to do, because I've watched fucking Shark Tank, I was like, oh, I need proof of concept. That's what I need. So I started a Tumblr, Bunby's Rap Coloring and Activity Tumblr. And then like every other day or something, I would upload, I would upload a picture 
a coloring page to the website for free that you could download. And here's a song to listen to while you do it or what. And that ended up going viral. And then after it went viral, all those same publishers were like, actually, that was a good idea. We want to make. And, and uh, <clears throat> so then th that's how we got the, the deal for that one. And then after I had like wiggled my way into a spot, then it became much, much easier. The Rap Gear book, uh, that wasn't even a, like my idea for a book. That was the, the editor who I worked on the coloring book with. She said, hey, I have this idea for this book that I've been wanting to do. Do you want to write it? And and that's how we started. We, we did that one. And then once that one came out and it made the bestseller list and then it sold, you know, a couple hundred thousand copies, then all of the publishers were much nicer and were like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's how yeah. it that works. That's awesome, man. Um, you know, uh, just 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 moving along. Let's um, let's talk about the third book, you know, um, published 2017 with um, illustrator Arturo Torres. Um, tell us how that came about and sort of, you know, the mechanics behind putting that together. You're talking about basketball and other things, right? Yeah. OK, so with that one. I mentioned I signed a full-time contract at Grantland. That was in Ju that was in July of 2015. So June of 2015, I, I quit teaching because I'm going to go do this. I'm going to write full-time now. July of 2015, um, I start writing full-time at Grantland. The, the October of 2015, Grantland closes. So three or four months later, they were like, hey, Bill was already gone. ESPN said, this doesn't exist anymore, whatever. Um, but I had signed a one-year contract, so I had like eight months or something that I didn't really have to do anything. Wow. They were like, we can let you out of your contract and you can go work somewhere else, or we can like pay you every two weeks for the, for the duration of the contract, And but you can't write anywhere else. And I said, well, I think I'll do that second option. Like an <laughs> but like three weeks into it, I was like, this is fucking boring. I want to I work. I want to do something. So I talked to Arturo Torres, the illustrator for all of the books so far. And I said, hey, let's do like a let's do a newsletter or something. Just like once a week, you'll get sharp. You'll you'll stay sharp uh, drawing. I'll stay sharp writing and then see what happens from there. And we started the newsletter and it was supposed to just be like a little tiny thing to practice. in. And a couple of weeks in, we had like 30,000 subscribers or something like that. Um, and the, the basketball letter was called Bas I mean, the newsletter was called basketball and other things. And once again, once the newsletter popped, the publishers were like, you, do you want to do a basketball book? And I said, all right, we'll do that. And we'll just call it basketball and other things. And we'll write all new stuff in there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we already had the template and everything in place. And then, and then there you go. That one did even better than the rap yearbook. That one got to number one on the bestseller list. That one, that one that, uh, Awesome. President Obama included on his list of books. Like, it was fucking nuts. I got to go on Inside the NBA. Chris. <laughs> it was a wild stretch, dude. Yeah, uh, the come up is incredible. And um, I think the way you handle it and the way you remain kind to people and um, kind of pay back um, all of the, the people who follow you is really incredible. Let's move it into kind of our world, uh, hip hop and other things. Um, that's why we want to talk to you today. And um, I, I guess, again, starting with a statement again, sorry. Um, what I admire about the way that you approach the culture is you get to reside in this place as kind of a professional appreciator. Um, you, you get to like kind of examine the things that you like. You get to um, tease out um, things that other people might not be seeing in it. And I guess what I want to ask you is, 
does this are you like an obsessive re-listener re-watcher or do you just have amazing recall like where are you how are you remembering all these little times every time action action bronson got hard on a plane like are you writing it down (laughs) how does one keep all that information you get what i'm asking yeah 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 no uh i i listen to a, a a thing a lot of times especially if i like a thing like uh like we did uh, I do this rap podcast with Brandon Jenkins, and this week, every week, we talk about a different rap album, and this week, we did uh, Ready to Die, Biggie's Ready to Die, and it was like, well, I've been fucking listening to this album since it came out. Since 1994, I've I've been listening to this album for 27 years or whatever, um, or 20, you know, whatever the, whatever it is, um, but I, have, I, I do listen to, to stuff a bunch, but mainly, like, all of that stuff that you might read in the book, it's not just information that I have in my head at all times. It'll be like a little thing that will that will happen in a song that I'll that I'll enjoy and then and then recall that maybe they did it another time or like start to chase something down. And you're just sort of chasing chasing threads down. With the action Bronson one, I knew I wanted in the rap book, I wanted to have like X amount of chapters that were like sort of history-based X amount of chapters that were that were uh, like just sort of silly chapters X, like that. So I'm filling in buckets. And for one of the silly chapters, I just had like a list of general ideas. I remember listening to a song where Action Bronson said he had an erection in first class on an airplane. And that always stuck out to me as <laughs> being silly or funny. Um, and then I just so happened to be listening to the, to the what was that, the, the dolphin tape that he had. And I believe he there was another line on there where he talks about the, an airplane. I might be misremembering it, but I'm like, oh, man, I wonder if he does this a lot. And then I just went through and re-listened to every album and wrote okay. down any time that he had, any time that he mentioned uh, any sort of travel. And then, then you, know, you got, now I have all of this information. I, I hired another person to listen to it as well. And now you listen through it and see if I missed any. And then I'm going to take all of it and try to synthesize it and come up with like a fun or silly idea that will really let me talk about something else. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think what ends up happening is a lot of people, they read the books and they're like, man, this guy fucking knows a lot about a lot. And that's not the, that's not the, it's like when you're in college and you take a philosophy class for those three or four months, you know, a little bit about philosophy. And then that's interesting. Time. Yeah. Well, you if don't. you're ever hiring to listen to rap music, uh, we have plenty of, <laughs> I'm sure you have plenty of friends, but, uh, you know, keep us in mind. And I just have to say, uh, reading that part of the book, maybe go back and re-listen to Baby Blue. And I uh, just had a good time listening to the, listen to the album and checking out your work last night. So thanks for that. Baby Blue's the best. Shut up, rapper. So, so on, on this program, we're about to do our year in review episode um in which we kind of land on who's the greatest rapper alive and every year nate says kendrick lamar even though dude hasn't had an album in like five years um in uh-huh. your opinion right now who is the greatest rapper alive and um the greatest rapper alive uh, so this is interesting because i did a version of this in the in the book mm-hmm. in the book it was like Jay-Z, Jay-Z has the line about in Death to Autotune where he says, I might send this to the mixtape Wheezy, which he's <laughs> referring to the great stretch of sure, mixtape right. songs that Lil Wayne had in mm-hmm. 2008 or so. Um, and I was like, oh, that's a fun idea. Who would we send this to if we could send this back in time 
all across time to get a guest feature from somebody. And essentially you're picking the person you think is the best rapper at that particular moment. So if we're doing that here, who's the best rapper at this particular moment on December 13th of 2021, I, I got to go with Vince Staples. Ever oh, since wow. the Staples album came out, I think he has the best album of the year. So when, let me see when, when that came out, that came out wow. in this summer. Yeah. Uh, a few so so since this summer let's let me, i'm gonna give you an exact date let's pull okay it let's pull it up i like this we're seeing the research process live he's, he's so, now producing our podcast we appreciate it <laughs> so from july 19 2021 ever since that moment vince staples has been the best rapper on the planet until somebody else puts out a better song or a better album than what he did there okay. then than what he did with that album than what he did with are, are you talking you, about fm is that the no uh the no, self-titled no. from this year from this self, year yeah self album okay that's, yeah that, that's super interesting uh just on a pound for pound basis because it's so short but i agree that it's a very good record 20 uh, 20 minutes 22 yeah. minutes there 22 was a minutes of heat <laughs> I, was, I was listening through uh through uh the house is burning i was like "Ooh, is isaiah gonna chase him down can he get him yeah. didn't he didn't quite he was right there yeah Boom. Is oh, my second, wow. but uh, Shay, I'm interested in uh, kind of your your past listening habits. Like, I, I please don't take this the wrong way, but like, it kind of seems like you're like a mainstream rap guy. Like, uh, like you like Biggie and uh, Nas, like chapters and stuff like that. Did you have an underground phase or a backpack phase? Like, did you did you listen to Rockus and uh, you know Fondalum? And is that your world at all? Yeah, I think everybody. I think what, so this is usually how it works is when you get introduced to rap for the first time, especially if you if you came up like in the early 90s or whatever, when there was there was no Internet, there was yeah. you you only got the rap that was served to you by whatever the biggest place was. So MTV or, or, or that the, that TV channel where they would play videos, you could call them in or the box, you know, the yeah. music box. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think what happens is you start out and you're like, "Ooh, Rex and Effects, Rump Shaker, awesome!" That like that's what they play. That's what they play on the radio, and then you just chase it down from there. And then you get to a certain age when you learn about like record stores, and then during that period, you start going through and being like, "Oh shit, who is? I've never heard of this. Who is this? Who is this? Who is this?" And you start listening to that, and then you're convinced that that's the best because not enough people are talking about it, which has to mean that it's the best. <laughs> and then you can sort of a age out of that and you come back around to like just the stuff that you that you like so that was definitely a period when I was when I was doing that but what's interesting about that is so I was 14 15 years old in 94 or so no 95 96 and um the stuff that was like underground in Texas at the time was not stuff that was underground other places like Nas was underground like if you knew about Nas oh, interesting yeah I, because there was, that was fucking 1500 miles away or whatever, like you were in the know, you know what I'm saying? Um, it, it, everything came to, to San Antonio, like a little bit after it, it came out. Um, it was like that, even with, with like, like our, like when UGK started popping up, if you knew about UGK in the beginning, they were underground. And then after a while, that was like our version of, of Wu-Tang Clan down here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's what I was listening to. 
Man, uh, yeah, thanks for breaking that down for us. Um, as we kind of round off here, I want to make sure, uh, create some space to talk about Halfway Books. This is a this interesting trajectory of you being a writer, journalist, uh, you know, writing books, and now you you're the you're the publisher. Is 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 just such a wild trajectory? Uh, can you talk to us about how how you created that and kind of what's what's coming up for for Halfway Books? Halfway Books is this pretend publishing company. That <laughs> Real sweatshirt, fake company. Real sweatshirts, fake company. Only because I really like the name Halfway Books, which oh, I the play yeah. on Mob Deep's. Um, it ain't no such thing. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> it. Um, th- so that's another example of like a way you back into stuff is because when I started putting this out, Halfway Books, Halfway Books, Halfway Books, a bunch of people were like, oh, you're talking about when Eminem says that an eight mile. And like oh. that's <laughs> that introduced to it. And then you get to be like, well, actually that's from this other thing. And then you fall backwards and they're like, oh, should I never heard of these, of these guys before? You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so Halfway Books is this pretend publishing company that uh, I started like almost as a joke, but more of it, but more as like an experiment. Because what I, what I, what I ended up seeing happening was uh, we talked about the rap yearbook. So that book came out 2015. They paid me $25,000 to write that book. That's not including what I had to pay out of that to have an illustrator. That's not including what I had to pay out of that to an agent. They get like 15% or whatever. So automatically it gets, it gets knocked down, but they pay me for the sake of easy numbers. They pay me $25,000 to write that book. And then every six months now I get like a check in the mail a royalty check for depending on how many copies it sold, maybe a couple thousand bucks. And when I got a royalty check a couple of years ago, I, I, I know I looked at it and I was like, Oh fuck this thing at that particular time, this thing has sold like 150,000 copies of the book. And I'm like doing some quick math in my head. Cause I was excited to get like a $12,000 royalty check or whatever. Um, but then I'm doing the quick math in my head and I'm like, well, if there's, if, even if they're, they're selling it for $10, which I know they're not, they sell it for more than that. But if it's $10, that's $1.5 million that is out there somewhere that I got $12,000 of. And then I'm like, well, that doesn't seem like that great of a thing. And, I, and, <laughs> and so, you know, you start thinking about all of your favorite, like I was living in Houston at the time, uh, a bunch of my favorite rappers we're just there doing it independently. Houston is like, yeah, you know, they decided very early on. There's New York, there's LA. Houston is this whole other place. We don't need, we don't, we're not even going to try to reach out to there. We're just going to build it ourselves and do it here. We'll sell the fucking tapes out of the trunks of our car at the gas exactly. station. Yep. We're from the Bay area. We're familiar with this ethos. Okay. So you, so you know what it is. And I had talked to enough rappers to know, to, to, to hear them be like, well, listen, I could go get a, a, a record deal with this other place and they could give me 200 grand up front, but then I'm sort of stuck there and I have to sell 200,000 copies just to recoup that money before I start earning anything. Or I can do it all myself and I can sell a fraction of that and, and make more money. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. I wonder if that works with publishing as well. So I did the halfway books thing just totally as like an experiment. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to write the first thing I did was for the office. I'm going to write this collection of essays right. mm-hmm. about the office, sell it for $20, like they do my books, 
but rather than me getting like a dollar fifty of it, now I get nineteen of the twenty dollars, and all of, sudden, all of a sudden I don't have to sell nearly as much. I wrote a, I wrote a short story a year ago, maybe two years ago, that I published myself, and the the short story I was selling it for ten to twenty bucks, depending on what version you wanted. And I think I think I sold like I sold several thousand copies of it. I know. Mm-hmm. And like, oh fuck, I made I made more off of this than I did off of the rap yearbook, That's even correct. though book sold tens and tens and tens of thousands uh, or hundreds of thousands more copies than this did. This is fucking crazy to me. And, you know, so then once that happened, I'm like, well, I'll do this every so often. And then last year I did the thing where, where I took some of the money that I made off of a short story and like hired some other writers to let them to, to like have them write about a thing they wanted to write about. And then they get to keep all of the money and we don't take any of it because there's no overhead really. Besides who I have, besides the editor I have to hire or the writers I have to pay, and you know just um, just sort of trying trying shit to see what happens. That's amazing, man. And uh, friends of the program, John Morrison and Dart Adams, were uh, involved in that effort. Yeah. And we just we we were watching from afar on the internet, and just just what you're doing is fucking really cool, man. Amazing. Just like I really admire it. Um, we know you need to go, um, but we just want everyone to go and pick up hip hop and other things, and uh, keep a close eye on Shay's Twitter. Uh, I hear there's an email thing. Maybe people can have. I don't a know. Fake, uh, is it is is it like halfway books where it doesn't actually exist? I'm confused. <laughs> with the email the secret email club is just it's it's yeah it's just like a, every so often i'll send an email out to people who have bought a thing that i've okay put out okay. and 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 that's all that it, it's just like a goofy thing that we play up on um on twitter has john has john been on the show john morrison yeah 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 he's so fucking good he's yeah. so yeah, so- I love his radio show. I love his approach to writing and just like the deep reverence for like not just hip hop, but all music that he brings to his writing. He's incredible. Yeah, it was really good. When we did the halfway books thing and I put the like, not audit, what's the word, application process out. I'm like, hey, yeah. tell me the album you want to write about and why you want to write about it in like 100 words and whatever, whatever. And I remember reading through them and I got to John's and it was just so fucking bulletproof when I read it. It was, he wrote about the roots. Do you want some more? Yeah. And and it it, it was like, like you read it and you knew, number one, that he loved what he was talking about, but also that he just knew more than everybody else about this. And I was like, let me, let's get, let's, let's pass the ball to John and see what he, and then Dart, of course, is a fucking, the uh, rap like a genius rap historian he was so much fun fun to work on the book with so so i hired him to to help me research for the book and he was doing like some of the chapters but on all of the chapters and then the more that i worked with him the more i liked it i'm like well let's just do all of the chapters and then i'm like you should also fact check this book because you know he's already fact checking all of twitter and every release date that's out there so might as well just get him in the get him involved it was so dope and it'll be like i felt like like a like so when we did the rap yearbook that got turned into the six episode documentary series for amc that executive produced by black dot and quest love like they were the ones running the thing and in the very beginning like the very first meeting that we had I showed up. I was on the phone. Everybody else was in person. And anything like that I had second or third had knowledge of that I'd researched on the internet and like dug up and was really proud of. I'd be like, oh, I heard this, 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 and this. And every time I did it, 
quest love was like oh yeah i was there i was in the car with tupac at that time <laughs> what the fuck good am i, I just, <laughs> after that i didn't even i was like i'll just get out of the way and you do what you do but work but but it, i got that same like vibe from dart when i was when we were working on this because i'd be like dart i can't find this particular article on the internet that i need from this 1996 issue of vibe magazine do you know where i can find it like are there some digital archives or something and then he fucking would text me back or email me back a picture right of, from his bookshelf yeah <laughs> one, uh, he, he has like every copy of every magazine that mentioned i was like this is fucking the best thing in the world i love people that love rap it's just so great same man yeah man uh same same uh love what you're doing love that you're you're kind of given given back to the community um in the ways that you do uh we're really excited about having you on the program and we're just thankful you can make the time man thank you so much all right boys all right take care shay we, we well. gotta do it longer next time yes this absolutely. absolutely this is fun all right cool man <laughs> thanks for doing it all right y'all later bye Peace. That was our conversation with Shay Serrano. I want to give him uh, props for coming on the program. Somebody we have been circling for quite a while, Dave. Uh, how are you able to, to eventually lock this one in? Well, um, you know, just like just like you guys. I mean, we, we're, we follow Shay's work and we follow him on Twitter. But uh, with this one, we went through our homie of homies, Dart Adams, hey. so, uh, who, who I guess um, also... Um, contributed to the recent uh, book. And um, yeah, I mean, what what a pleasure talking to Shay. I mean, for someone with that much influence and that many followers, but for his entire steez is to just be this transparent, nice guy, like the everyman, yep. Uh, yep. super refreshing, super refreshing. And, you know, to your point earlier, like he knows his rap music. So that, yeah. that's that's certainly something we can all sort of bond over. And I think it showed in the interview. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I love that he's a dude from a small market uh, right. <laughs> as, a, as a person from a non-traditional music market. It's just been great to see. Uh, Nate, were you getting the goosebumps when he was uh, talking about kind of his book trajectory and, and kind of how he got on? Oh, kind of. I've always been curious about that stuff and I've followed his work for a long time. He's just like, he is kind of a, a, a success story who has like ridden the take economy like as far as it can take you you know it's <laughs> just you like go. it's there just like go. it's I, i've been fascinated by uh by his work and i think he has good taste like it's just like yeah. it might not be the most obscure stuff you saw i kind of i wanted to go a level deeper with him and talk to him about a little yeah. bit of underground stuff and he's like yeah yeah i'm familiar but he seems like as he's kind of reached middle age that what he cares about is the stuff that really moves him it's the stuff from Texas and it's like the kind of stuff that everybody knows. And it, it it's a kind of a, a decent lesson to us that like talking about the big records is interesting too. Right. Yeah, like, right uh, yeah, we don't need right. to, we're not yeah. 17 years old with a Jan sport anymore. Not everything has to be <laughs> obscure. Like you can, right. you can celebrate the big mm -hmm. bigger records and you'll 
I think cast a bit of a wider shadow. So it's something to think about there. Those are, there's just as many takes within a huge record as they're in within is within something that always felt like your personal gem. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We we spent a lot of last year exploring, especially like the corners of Dave and I's fandom and finding really cool pockets, talking to really interesting people. Um, So it's, it was just interesting to talk to someone who had done things a slightly different way. And like, I, I admire Shay's, public kindness mm-hmm. yeah. how like he right. gives back to his fans right. and his community of how he pays homage to people and yep. just how he's like a fucking chill ass normal dude who is very successful and like that is something i would hope to emulate in every single way including the quitting of the day job at some point to do yes, sir. To, yes. to work as a as a creative so for him to just be so transparent about how that all happened and what what went down it's just like yeah i'm sitting here taking notes dude yeah because because there's definitely and i feel like we've seen this with other folks who make a big move right who make power moves and get to a particular place and then try to like you know well, I'm a, I'm kind of a genius that way. Or they try to pretend that it's, it's some kind of right. mystical type of thing. I, it was refreshing to hear him be like, ah, in some ways I just got lucky. I was just, you know, <laughs> I was doing my thing and this thing came along and then that thing came along um, in such a way as his whole kind of persona is like, yeah, yeah you could probably do it too. Like it's, he tries to demystify mm-hmm. um, the level of kind of celebrity and platform that he has in a really refreshing way. Uh, and I feel like, he is, yeah, kind of a flagship for the type of, uh, a new type of, uh, of entertainment uh, obsessive fandom. I think now uh, hip hop is, is definitely starting to cement itself. Um, and it's part of, uh, in, in part due to the things that Shay is doing. So we, we thank him for coming on the program uh, and hope that uh, we can we can talk to him again someday when his next bestseller drops. Well, this I, I, week we talked about it a little bit at lunch today. I think his next big thing is they're filming the pilot oh, right. for his TV right. show Primos, which he's been talking about for a long time. That that's amazing. Like to yeah. to take that leap into like scripted television is is super huge and it i think it's going to come from his very distinct viewpoint um and so i'm really looking forward to that and in some ways if that is a huge success it'll be like oh there goes our chance to talk to him (laughs) (laughs) that's all we can wish for you is that you be so successful that you can't come back to this program um yeah so we we want to thank shay for coming on uh we encourage everybody to interact with his with his books and uh, he's a good Twitter follow as well. You know who else is a good Twitter follow? Dad Bod Rap Pod at Dad Bod Rap Pod. I post questions of the week uh, every now and again, and then we read responses on air. And I try to get Nate and Dave not to dunk on y'all. Um, <laughs> so this is our question of the week. This week uh, is again we are um, kind of unpacking Earl Sweatshirt Sick album. The album called Sick, which is also sick. Uh, <laughs> sick. <laughs> question of the week was, how y'all feel about Earl Sweatshirt's new album? Uh, and we got some pretty, uh, some variants and responses that I didn't, I didn't quite expect. So we'll start with um, uh, an interesting take, a hot one from Tony Robertson, 82. Only had one full listen, but a bit underwhelming. Nothing really grabbed me besides the perfect uh, tabula rasa and it is perfect armin hammer becoming the new licks becoming the new 
licks, which I think he's referencing alcoholics, with their guest verses being the best thing on other people's albums. Ooh. Mm. There was some praise and some A lot going on there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't even know where to start with that one. What can uh, I think yeah, of yeah. like a scene stealing alcoholics guest verse that uh I guess on their King T and, and, stuff where they kind of first came up. Right, right. And also okay. like 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 uh Earl is sober on this one, right? He's not an alcoholic <laughs> on this one. So. No, no, no. It's saying that Armin <laughs> Hammer is the alcoholic. Oh, just oh got it, got it, got it. Yeah. <laughs> um that is yeah. Uh I could see it was interesting that Earl, I mentioned this at the top, and Marcus Moore's incredible uh, Entertainment Weekly interview, which I guess you should read, um, Earl knows that he can come across as underwhelming. So it was kind of interesting to read that that's where some people uh, came across with it. But that's respect, funny. Tony. It's like literally what Earl thinks happens when people receive his music just happened. Yeah, in real time. That's, that's what I love about this program. We are conduit for the fans. Real feeling. <laughs> Shout out to Tony. Um, here's another hot one from the homie Sun Ra, uh, representing Montreal. Uh, Sun Ra says, it's a dope rap album, but something about his persona bugs me. Like, I'll catch a line and go, I roll emoji. Uh, <laughs> perhaps we'll have Sun Ra to come on and, and talk further about yeah. what about the persona um, bugs him, but I thought that was... That was pretty funny. Um, let's see. Let's uh, keyboard Colossus at Free Music Empire. Not an Earl diehard, but this is my favorite in a long time. Combination of great production, Al Black Noise, the Rabda, and Young Guru mixing, mixing, mastering. It's so clean. Earl lived long enough to hear the fruits of his effect on the underground, which is really awesome. Um, yeah, shout out to Keyboard Colossus. Uh, I I agree. I agree. I didn't know Young Guru mixed it. That's that's pretty. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's pretty dope. Uh, let's. That's that cleanliness, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and like it, it knocks. You know what I mean? Like it meets, uh, it meets the standards for current knockage, which not a, a <laughs> lot of not a lot of underground rappers do. Got that Knoxbury farm. <laughs> yeah, so young, it's y- Young Guru has good knockers. <laughs> <laughs> He is the bra which holds the uh, <laughs> on the modern rap joint, um, which is yeah, something I enjoy about this album. It has things that that sound good on in in the subwoofers. Um, let's go one more at uh, Love Ulysses five eighty one says I love it, but in some ways I'm still very challenged by it. I think it may resonate later but I, it's taking a little longer than I'm used to with Earl. Still love him regardless. Oh, that's interesting. I think this is the record that would be the easiest to get into. Right. I was going to say it's the most direct. Yeah. Huh. Hmm. Uh, but just goes to show you that different records hit di- different he's, people. He's different. Like, I, I like some easy listening, like Feet of Clay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, Feet of Clay is, is a really interesting record in the sense um, that you almost feel like he just he got that out of his system. Right. Like right. that was the, that one. was the rest of the sludge that he kind of like. Yes. Leaving charge. Yeah. He's, he's leaving the village. <laughs> he's coming out. Things are a little bit brighter. Um, and also, I, I didn't say this at the top of the show, but Nate, is this our first like real pandemic rap record? like that really like personifies the pandemic 
you, I don't you're, think you're so. Pro- we, we've talked pro- to a bunch of people who uh, the ones that I think of because they were like we listened to the, we talked to the people during and like it's not even the pandemic it was like quarantine it was like the, right, the right. you can't leave your house time where that that odyssey record that i'm not going to remember the name of and uh nappy nina's 30 bag um album because it's like we talked to the people about the making of it during the pandemic it's like it, it they made it it came out we're still in it um, uh no but what i mean is like is this the and maybe not the first, but to me, it felt like a really good record that makes a nod to the pandemic in a way, captures some of the energy of it, of like how fucking ridiculous this has all been. And it's called <laughs> Sick. It's like, right. I don't think, I don't know right. if he had a record he's, of this. He's, he got a sculpture made of himself wearing a mask wrong for right. the cover. So in that way, maybe he's <laughs> taken it a little further than... Uh, than other people have but no I, I feel like I hear that everywhere and I, I'm seeing it everywhere but you know what is a tough watch right now my wife had us watch the uh, first episode of Station Eleven on HBO have you guys tried to mess with that mm-hmm. it's about a world ending pandemic and then we only watched the first one where it's like it's like when it's all setting in and I was like I don't I'm out on this one too like, soon. I, can't, I can't watch this right now it's making me feel bad because it's too real oh, um, but it's, highly it's recommend Yellow Jackets though yeah, <laughs> uh, I need to peep that. Need to yeah, peep it's that. really good. Uh, I was like lightweight obsessed with that. And we were like trading theories at the dinner table and stuff. But anyway, Station Eleven is supposed to be great. Want to watch the rest, but too too real about the pandemic. It's like visualizing a pandemic happening. And I'm like, yeah, totally. Just look really? outside. Right now? Yeah. Oh, they made man. it during the pandemic. It's based on a previously existing piece of fiction, but then they just happen to make it now. Uh, I two things I can't do right now. I can't do pandemic based um, movies, television, and I I wouldn't be able to do anything about Trump. I think for like mm. maybe ten years. You know what I mean? Quite a while. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. still have the term muted on Twitter. I don't want to see that motherfucker's face or hear about him or anything, right? unless it's like oh. getting called for his tax shit or January sixth investigations. I don't want to hear a peep. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of it's. Yeah. it's and, a, it's and a little I don't raw. think you can fictionalize how crazy everything <laughs> has been properly it's going to take some distance from it to notice like mm-hmm. how they had to kind of stop making beep because they couldn't make right. as absurd as what was really happening it's like right even right. watching those last couple seasons of beep it's like you can just tell they're worn out by trying to keep up it's just, it's crazy yeah truth uh continues to be stranger than fiction um but you know we uh we do our best to critique both here on the dead bod rap pod uh I'll be posting more questions of the week periodically throughout the season at dead bod rap pod on Twitter. We are on Instagram at dead bod rap pod. And we are also on Patreon. And if you are a Patreon subscriber, we appreciate you so much. If you're not Nate, tell them uh, what they missed with fly sporadic Trey. Uh, Fly Sporadic 3 is uh, uh, Fly Sporadic is a uh, radio show style podcast where I play records from my collection and talk about them and this one is about retro soul music which is uh, I I don't remember if I phrase it like this on the thing or not but like we I kind of got bored of rap in like the mid 2000s and I, I dove pretty heavily into like soul music itself but this whole Daptone Desco Truth and Soul, um, 
big crown like world of mm-hmm. retro soul pretty heavily saw sharon jones live a bunch of times saw lee fields live talked to lee fields with dave um you know the whole mayor hawthorne phenomenon comes and goes while we're in it amy winehouse wins every grammy in the world right. sharon jones goes from thing sold on turntable lab to thing that plays on the breaks of npr and uh, i get into all of that and talk about some of the music some of the antecedents like poets of rhythm and how dj shadow only thinks that the the people who are making it shouldn't be wearing matching suits and <laughs> <laughs> things of that nature. So yeah. uh, just a, a kind of an exploration of that time in my life and a, a bunch of the different records. And um, I'm just such a huge Sharon Jones fan. It really ended yeah. up being kind of a tribute to the dearly departed Sharon Jones, who's one of the great singers of our time and just yeah. seemed like a, an amazing person. And there were a bunch of stories that I didn't get to on that and a bunch of records I didn't get to. I didn't even even get to any of the newer stuff so i'll probably yeah. i'll probably some of these part two twos of the two 3.2 yeah I'm, I'm i'm put my records aside for the next edition i'm doing about one a month it's just fun to play records and talk about them so yeah. it's something you can get um from our patreon just kind of a deeper look at the like the music side of things we're here we're mostly talking there it's mostly music and you know, two hours of music too. Nate is not <laughs> Nate is not shortchanging you here. We're barely scratching the surface too. Once we got to that, I was like, I had this whole other stack. It's like Cold Diamond and Mink and Bobby Arosa and all that. I was like, we haven't even we haven't even we haven't even started. It's crazy. I was yeah. thinking about doing a jazz episode, but I'm like, what am I going to do? Like play like four songs? you're like bitches brew (laughs) (laughs) might have to be like four or five hours so i can spread my elbows a little you know what i mean only if you do the um the community radio jazz program guy voice i don't know (laughs) that was basis cecil mcbee (laughs) love we're holding a pledge drive and we could really use all of your support Thank you so oh much. Oh my God. Get He's got bag. it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have to do it wow. with the fake wow. pledge drive. You've got to do it. I can keep it up. I always, my oh wife my and I have God. been joking about this since before we got married. It's like the during the pledge week, they only play uh, upright bass music behind everything. <laughs> It's like, welcome back to KQED. Boom, boom, Pledge your money. Michael Krasny. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Um, that's, some, that's just a taste of the flavor that you get um, on our Patreon. In your ear. Also- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> flavor in your ear. Peace. Um, yeah, we, we, we give you Nate's Fly Sporadic radio show. Uh, Dave Ma is raffling off pieces of uh, deluxe memorabilia promo stuff he's gotten over the years. We do special segments. We just posted um, a segment earlier this week about records we tried to get into but just couldn't. Um, it's all there. It's only five bucks a month or more if you're inclined to, to subscribe at a higher level. And we are going to keep that flowing throughout the year. We appreciate everybody who supported our Patreon thus far. We drop episodes every Thursday, man. It's the Dad Bod Rap Pod. Every gesture that's into the days 
Lonely Island Audio.